0: With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there.
1: Selling a little or a lot?
0: Hi, you may have already heard that we lost a friend a few days ago when Sandra Pankhurst, who was immortalized in Sarah Krasnostine's brilliant book, The Trauma Cleaner, passed away. Sandra was such a warm, loving person. Once she decided you were friends, she worked very hard at staying in touch, sending funny, thoughtful messages and beautiful gifts that nobody but Sandra would think of. We were incredibly fortunate to have the opportunity to get to know Sandra Pankhurst and I personally learnt lessons from her about empathy and trauma that changed my life. So this week, we reissue our Sandra Pankhurst episode of Australian True Crime in her honour. I know Sandra would want us to celebrate her life for the next hour or so, and then get on with our own. It was certainly not her style to sit around wallowing in the past.
4: Producers of this podcast recognise the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging.
0: The following podcast contains content of a graphic violent nature and is not suitable for children
4: there is a select group of cleaners like myself that are part of this VSA and we have certain areas to cover and so quite often you'll hear something on the radio or the TV and you'll go oh that's in our location we'll probably get that.
0: This is Australian True Crime. Come with us as we explore how people become killers, how people become victims and what happens next. Sandra Pankhurst's life has always been one of trauma although you'd never know it to look at her. She's glamorous and kind and compassionate. She brings light to the darkest places. Please settle in and spend some time with Sandra Pankhurst. When the book first came out, The Trauma Cleaner, I thought, oh, I don't know if this is a right conversation for Australian true crime because I know that your cleaning service does a lot of different kinds of cleaning and That's I a thought preach. a lot of it's probably hoarding. I wasn't sure if we could believe it or not because I hadn't read your story yet. I thought, can we sustain a long enough conversation, you know? Then I read the book and realised how much of your life has been touched by crime. Before we even get to the crime, though, I do want to tell our listeners, if they haven't read this book, that it is the most remarkable book and the most remarkable story. There's two things going on here. First, your life story is incredible. Mm -hmm. It's an incredible story of tenacity, of a little boy who all I could think of was I wish I'd adopted you. That's all I could think of because your early childhood was just marked by the most awful rejection and I know I'm not the first person to say to you, I just feel... So sorry. And
4: this is why I have a passion now to yeah. help other people through the process because all we ever want to do as a child is to be loved.
0: Yes, of course, and that's what you deserve. That's yeah. the, the fundamental thing that you deserve as a child yeah. is to be loved. And so then uh, as an adult, you transition and you become Sandra, the fabulous Sandra, and then you move through sex work and many careers, successful careers, exciting relationships, an incredible life. But the other thing is that Sarah Kresnostin, who wrote the book, she put so much love into this book. And she says herself in the beginning, it's a love letter to you. And she really, I don't remember ever reading a biography in which the author is so candid about how much they love the subject. I mean, you have a way of making people really... Feel yeah. comfortable. Well, feel comfortable is one way of saying it, but really, just love you and want to want to envelop you and be around you. So, it is just, an I think I book. just
4: cherish people because mm. we're all fractured souls. We yeah. all need to, to be loved or to be treated with respect. Yeah, no one wants to be put down or bullied or made a fool of, and we all desire the same thing. So, if we all had that mantra that we would look after other people, we'd all be a far better community. Do you yeah. know what I mean? We would there would be more love to go around and I know that sounds a little bit wankerish, but you know, if we don't love our fellow person or our neighbour or our community, what hope have we got? You know, like I look today at the violence that goes on and I think, how could they do it with, you know, machetes and baseball bats and lumps of wood and things? I think in my day you had a fight and you sorted it out.
0: Mm. You know, these days it's like for the throat, it's for the kill. Yeah. But also you were subjected to violence at home as a child. Yes. So did you ever, we know that oftentimes bullies have been bullied themselves previously. So having been subjected to violence and bullying at home, did you ever lash out physically? Did you ever go through a period before you reached this Zen state that you're in now where you, you know, reacting with love and kindness did you ever go through a phase yourself
4: to be honest I probably would say yes I have gone through stages of that Mm. where I'm quite aggressive in my approach and my manner and Mm. things but it's not so much of a bullying type thing I think it's a survival thing that you have to fight for your right all the time you have to and you won't be taken down yeah. So it's just a, a survival instinct more so than a a bullying instinct.
0: Yeah, it must be hard to find that fine line. Balance, yeah. Yeah. You transitioned and you became Sandra. I'll leave a lot of your life story yeah. for another conversation, if that's okay right. with you. This is Australian True Crime. So we'll crack on with crime. But our listeners must get the book because it's an incredible life. One thing that that is written about in the book is, And I think it's a really positive step, even though it's a horrendous chapter to read, is the story of your sexual assault. Yes. To me, it's a really positive step because it talks about the sexual assault of a sex worker, which still to this day, a lot of people don't understand how that is possible.
4: It's very easily possible, but it's also more outstanding the fact that in that day and age Mm. that a transgender person would come up and speak up and have the voice to say, I'm not putting up with this, and I had this guy prosecuted.
0: You sure did. So there was only you and one other lady working in the brothel That's correct, and
4: after that incident she bit the dust and never to be seen ever again.
0: Well, I'm not surprised because the the chapter goes into really excruciating detail, and I'm glad it does, Yeah, about – the assault itself, about what happened and about how how degrading and how violent and how horrible this attack was. For that attack to happen to anybody under any circumstances was hideous and it should never be negated because of where it happened and who it happened to.
4: True, yeah.
0: Did you in any moment think to yourself, I shouldn't call the police because I'm a transgender sex worker? That
4: never entered my mind. But the fact that what was going through my mind constantly at the time was being dragged by the hair to go to this vacant block of land. And so many times you see on the news that this body has been found in vacant block of land. I personally thought I was going to be dead that night, mm. you know, and to survive that was outstanding. It horrifies me to think of going back on it. Um, I do try and block it out a lot because it's just such a a horrific part. But in the same token, after it happened, it liberated me because I could never do sex work again. Mm. And then I learnt a new confidence in myself that I could portray myself on the Mr and Mrs Everyday stage Mm. and become more normal. So everything in life happens for a reason and everything helps you learn a bit more and go on to a, a better stage in life.
0: I'll just drop in here to tell you a little bit more about this case as Sandra feels uncomfortable talking about it. In the early 80s, Sandra and one other lady were working in a brothel in suburban Melbourne. There were no other clients in the building when a man called Mel David Brooks entered. He then began a prolonged sexual assault on both women. It went on for hours until eventually Sandra was able to escape for a couple of minutes and call the police. They arrived, and by 6.10am, Sandra had given them a 10-page sworn statement. Brooks was found guilty of sexual assault on both women and was eventually given a six-year sentence in the Victorian court, which is still considered a pretty decent sentence, believe it or not, for sexual assault in Victoria. He had a four-year minimum. I have a friend who often talks to me about um, a transgender person who works at their shops, and every time... She mentions, and, and I don't know why she mentions it to me. It's not never in a degrading way or whatever. She always just says, oh, that transgender lady served me and she's so elegant, she's so beautiful. And I always think to myself, in the 90s, I worked as a receptionist in a transgender brothel. Oh, right. And the older workers there would say to me, you know what, when trannies, I'm going to use that word because yep. that's what they used, can have normal jobs, that's when we'll know
4: yep.
0: that we've really taken a big step. That is covered in this book as well, this idea that it was hard for transgender people to work in the straight world.
4: Very difficult.
0: And then you, after that attack, walked into a job in the funeral industry. Yes. And owned it. Well, it wasn't actually, the, the
4: funeral industry wasn't the first job okay. that I got. I started off, I got a part-time job at Shield Dry Cleaners in Bentley.
1: Right.
4: I worked out the back there you know, sorting the clothes and putting them with the tags and all that sort of stuff on. And that went on for a while. And then from there, I got a job at Black Cabs on the radios mm-hmm. at night. That was, I loved that job because <laughs> it was sort of chatting all the time to the drivers. But then I used to get my ass kicked all the time for talking to the drivers <laughs> because you only going to go, make one, two, to, it's, you know, blah, 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 such a dresser or whatever. And But the drivers loved it because they used to keep them awake. I used to keep them entertained. And I would often save them from precarious situations. Uh-huh. And so, because but you're management... you smart,
0: do you think? You, I don't a- know. I
4: don't know. I just, I love people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I love to just chat and all this sort of stuff. So we're chatting along with the people, I was chatting along with the drivers there and I used to get flowers sent in, I used to get presents sent in and all this but management were going, No, 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 no. (laughs) So anyhow I sort of ended up having to leave that job. But the woman that was running that place was actually Wilma Murdoch. And she was like a mother to me. And she had a lesbian daughter and she sort of took me under her wing and looked after me. And she was the last person as a funeral director that I ever buried. And so once you do someone you know, you can never do that again. And so it's sort of that leads to another. Area altogether. Yeah. So, but getting the job as the funeral director, I just loved it. It was yeah. passionate for me. It was helping people when they were in their crisis situation, when they just had lost all hope or they felt so bad that they treated this person bad all their life. And when the guilt comes out at a funeral, they want to have lavish coffins, they want to have lavish yeah. this and lavish that to, to feed their own guilt. But But do you think that sex
0: work also, I think a lot of people don't understand that sex work brings with it a lot of talking to people. So do you think that, you know, that that sort of started your counselling? Could have been, You know, and that you were able to take that through to the funeral work. I didn't really
4: look at it as like that. But in hindsight, yes, you're probably right. Yeah. But the funeral home was to me was very important because we had to – get people up to a pinnacle. It's like conducting a play. Yeah. And if we get them really emotional and get them up on a high, then they break down and cry. They can get on with life. But if they don't beat that crescendo, yeah. they stagger to get back into the normal rhythm of life. And so to me, the, it was getting everyone involved and being a participant in the funeral, which I loved passionately. Yeah. And But the boys didn't like the way I did things. Do you the, know what I mean? The boys, the funeral Yeah, the directors. Other funeral directors didn't like it because there was a – a boy against me, the the female, uh. and I was the first female funeral director in Victoria, mm. so it was like you know they didn't like the idea of me getting everyone to participate and all this sort of stuff, you know, mm. so it was very unusual. It was a very male dominated industry, but it needed a soft touch with the the woman, yeah. sort of telling, leading the role and getting one all encompassed and all involved, and it was only a matter of just getting asking in the family. Pick a wreath that you'd really like, and then we'd go and ask the people that gave the, that wreath, and we'd say, okay, can we pull this apart and give everyone a flower to participate in putting it on the coffin? Mm. And a little thing like that brought everyone close together and made people feel that they were part of something, and then were, we'd play very emotional music. They'd hit the crescendo, and they'd get on with life, and I used to get so many thank yous mm. of you know conducting such a wonderful funeral.
0: Wow. It's and I so, thought that it, was powerful. It is powerful. And the way you talk about the sort of gender politics of it reminds me of so many female police officers. We've had talk about joining the force <laughs>
4: yeah.
0: in the 70s and 80s. So then I know after that, and again, we'll leave it for, for the book, There's you married uh, George yep. and left the industry and um, bibs and bobs, bits and pieces, life takes over. And then you went into the cleaning industry. You're, you're an incredibly successful businesswoman. You seem to have a Midas touch. To me, I'm sure at the time it doesn't seem that easy. Well, it's not that easy. Yeah. And
4: like, and I've had my ups and downs yeah. and, you know, I've had people do the wrong thing by the business and have extorted st- money out of it and all this wow. sort of stuff. So you sort of you take a few steps forward and you take a step back. But it's trusting people. That's the hard part and mm. completely trusting people with your baby. And yeah. people take advantage when you're very soft like I am. You live and learn. You live and learn. Life's a constant learning circle.
0: And again, for you to trust people, when I think about um, as a younger person, you had a secret that, that threatened on a daily basis to blow your life apart when yes. you were first dressing in drag, going out at nighttime and had a double life and had a wife and babies at home. So the fact that you are able to trust people is, is a massive achievement. I think. Yeah, but see, that's the
4: part that I like about me Yeah, because a lot of people say to me, Sandy, you've got to toughen up, you've got to be harder than this, you've got to be. Hard. But I actually like me. Mm. I feel comfortable with me. I like the person that I am. Mm. I probably need to dot the I's and cross the T's maybe would be my tip for the process you know what I mean, because I am too trusting. But I'll trust anyone because I believe everyone deserves deserves a Guernsey. Everyone needs to feel part of something. And like a lot of my employees are people from the School of Hard Knocks. But in turn, they're the best people for the kind of crime scene cleaning that we do because they're very compassionate. They're understanding. They can understand how life can flip on a dime. They can understand, you know, the depression, the anxiety, the the disappointment, because they've been through it themselves. And so many times I get told by people, your staff are fantastic. I say, I know, I'm blessed. I'm absolutely blessed.
0: Yeah, but you train them too, don't you? I do. You train them I very do. Yeah. well.
4: You don't just... I, I install my principles yeah. on them, that this is how the business is to be run. It's Based on care, compassion, and dignity. And our motto is excellence is no accident. <laughs> so, you know, we, we have this high standard, but care, compassion, and dignity are the main components in making it work.
0: Mm. Emily and I both only discovered through doing this podcast that up until, I don't know, a couple of decades ago, maybe 20 years ago, crime scene cleanup was left to the families. Yes, if someone was murdered in your home, if someone suicided in your home, once the police and and the the first responders were finished investigating, they just left. Yes. And again, I read recently the excellent book about the Golden State Killer, and they talked about that as well. That um, you know the the widows or the widowers had to clean up after yeah. their partners were murdered. That's not the case anymore because of people like you.
4: And there's a special division of the police now, the VSA, right. that looks after this. And all the police stations hone in on that service. Uh-huh. And if the client will be given a reference number, referral number they get psychiatric counselling. It's like a holistic package to look after people these days. And thank God for the likes of Amanda Smiley, who headed it all up in the beginning. Mm. She was fantastic. You know, she's now moved on to greener pastures and we have someone else that runs the VSA. But there is a select group of cleaners like myself that are part of this VSA and we have certain areas to cover. And so quite often you'll hear something on the radio or the TV and you'll go, oh, it's in our location, we'll probably get that.
0: That's it I read that in the book and I thought this is one of those days when I've learned something that'll make me watch the news differently from now yeah. on that you were in hospital and you heard something on the news and you thought okay my phone's about to ring so yeah. I have to get myself together uh, because I'm going to have a job on yeah so this is what happens you get a phone call from the department not yes. from the victims' department family of justice. department yeah. of justice here's the address can you go around there yeah
4: and we have a time limit to be there okay we have to be there within 2 hours Unless, if it's course, we have to go out of our field to a country place, which mm-hmm. quite often we have to go, we get from the time we get the call to the time we get back, we get paid for that. Mm-hmm. So, but it's not about a matter of, it's, to me, it's not the monetary value; it's the, about the holistic thing of how we look after people. Because quite often people will come in and they have to see the crime area, yeah. and we have to, It's my role to talk them down and say, "Look, this is not how Mum and Dad would like you to remember him, be remembered." They loved you. You obviously love them. They don't want you to feel this. You know, they want you to be at peace with this. Do you know? So we have to talk them down. And sometimes it can take like an hour and a half to talk them down. And we had one incident where we said, OK, what we'll do is so they were so insistent in coming in. I said, What I'm going to do, I'm going to ask you, can I have some linen out of the wardrobe, out of the linen press? And I said, we'll cover the area, but you can see roughly where the area was. I said, but under no circumstances are you allowed to pick up those bits of linen to have a look underneath it because that would be voiding everything that we've just discussed and we need to protect you and protect the family from future psychological issues. And so we've done that and then we've stood on, I've had my staff stand on each corner so that no one can get in there and they're okay with that. That was the compromise that we had to go and have a look through this property. But we don't get a lot like that, but we do get a lot that, you know, really are struggling and they need to justify where it happened and like and if someone dies on the carpet there we wouldn't cut that bit of carpet out we would take the whole room out because it'll be like x marks the spot yeah. and it'll be a constant reminder to the family so it's like thinking out the square all the time of how would you feel if you were in that situation as to whether or not you could deal with going back and living in that house and nine out of ten times you don't have a choice mm. you've got to get on with life you've got to move on but you don't need to know x marks the spot
0: Sandra, I cannot believe that can fall to you. This is what we don't understand. You know, we think of you on your, when it says occupation, you write cleaner. And we don't understand that sometimes grieving relatives can arrive and you have to counsel them and deal with that moment with them. That's See, I feel
4: like more like a psychiatrist yes. than I do a, a cleaner. Anyone can be a cleaner but not anyone can have the tact and the, yes. the ability to be able to calm people down, centre them and get them to feel okay with the situation. Even though it's not a good situation, no. feel the best that they can in that situation yeah. and that's where I think I have the most incredible skills that I'm blessed with, thank you God, mm. that I, I have the ability to the Mr. and Mrs. Down and Out in Beverly Hills or Mr. and Mrs. How's Your Wealthy Going?
0: Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean?
4: I can mix between, I'm quite a chameleon in that respect, yeah. but I can relate to people on all levels. In
0: the book, there's there's a, there's a lots of mental illness, there's well, lots of drug and alcohol dependence, yeah. there's a man who is a, a registered sex offender yeah. whose house that you have to clean, and uh you are informed beforehand that neither you nor any woman is allowed to be alone with him at That's any correct. moment during that. And you have to negotiate with him because he is also all of the above. I mean, again, how do, you, how do you deal with that situation? A lot of us would think that person is scum and I choose not to be around that person.
4: Yeah, but I sort of feel that everyone still needs an opportunity. You don't kick a dog when it's down. Mm -hmm. You know, you try and help them through the process and maybe something. Like as cleaners too, we've just had this discussion with Martin Foley a couple of weeks ago that as cleaners we find out the in-depth because we're not the government, we're not the police, we're not the nursing and they let their barriers down that they can talk to the cleaner. Yeah. And so we find out far more than they ever knew and we so at times we relate this back where we're pertinent to relate it back. Okay. And then that helps the medics or the whoever. Okay, we've got another issue that we're dealing with here. Mm. We've got something else we need to put into the mix of problems. But it's all about in the long term trying to heal these people or help them or give them a fresh start to move on to a better life. Mm. Because we're all victims... Every one of them are victims. They're either victim of their own insecurities with drug and alcohol or ABI's through car accidents or something. Everyone has an issue. Everyone alive has an issue. We just need to hone in on what it is and help them through that issue.
0: Now, a lot of our listeners will be able to hear your beautiful nails clacking around. No, they're stunning. (laughs) I I love nails, long acrylic nails, but even I don't have them anymore because I think, oh, I get them dirty and I get... You famously don't wear gloves on cleanups. No. Why is that?
4: Because I like to be part of the people that Mm -hmm. we go into the house with, but I am very persistent that my staff do, and I explain that to them that I'm here as the equaliser. I'm here to help you through the process. So I don't want them to feel that I don't want to be contaminated by you. Mm. You know what I mean? I am with you on this ride to move you to the next level. Yeah. But my staff, by law, I have to protect them for oh yeah. reasons. So, yes, they might come in in a suit or they might come in in a mask and they'll come in with booties on or they might come in with gloves and all that and double-gloved on some occasions, depending on what we're dealing with. So I, I explain all that to them so that it's not... These foreign people in sperm suits coming to see them. Mm. It's like they're coming here to do a job, but I'm treating them as an equal.
0: It's an incredible. There's a lot of fecal matter.
4: Yes, more than you can deal with.
0: I mean, how is that even possible? I've got a little Maltese terrier who doesn't like to go outside in winter. <laughs> <laughs> and he might poo in the house at night time, wait till we go to sleep, you know. Once – and it might happen every day over winter, I'm going to be honest with yeah. you. And that to me, I just think that I'm so ashamed of that. You know, these poor people, I mean, how how do they get to this point?
4: Well, this is where I sort of feel that we need to – you know, like we might go in and do an industrial clean or something for these people. Yeah. I believe that what should happen, because a lot of them are in government housing or whatever, mm. and not a lot of them aren't too, but you know, the majority will be in government housing. So we need to educate these people because it's generational. We're getting generational of people that don't have any idea how to cook, clean, run a house, run a budget. Make food. We go into houses where there's some kids that can't even shit because they've got no fibre in their diet. They live on McDonald's or pizza or pasta or something like that all the time, Mm. and they've got nothing in their diet so that they can. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And like, and it's really sad. Also, you see some kids we've done industrial cleans for, the parents, and then the kids come home. Mummy, 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 I come home with my friends from school so they can see my new room, and you think. Oh my God, this is heartbreaking for after this you child. Cleaned it. Yeah. Yeah. They're just so excited to have a normal home and have be able to bring some friends back to the house. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I just sort of believe that we should have an educational programme that if we're gonna do an industrial clean, that we need to look after a course for them to budget, to cook, what mum's role is, what dad's role is, what the children's role is, and make it all like the cogs in the wheel mm-hmm. so that everything all comes together because we can't expect them, if they don't know how to look no, after it, right. how to do it.
0: Yeah, you're right. You know,
4: we need to teach them these skills and maybe we need to pop in monthly and see, or fortnightly at first and then go down to monthly and then quarterly, yeah. see how they're travelling with it because not everyone has those skills.
0: Because do you find yourself going back to re-clean properties?
4: On occasions we do, but the budgets are getting tighter now, so they're not really looking at that as much as they How much
0: they used does to. it cost to – because I know myself, you know, when you move house or whatever, you declutter <laughs> – and I pay a service to come and take away my garbage, even after Christmas sometimes, to be honest, you just got so much crap you've yeah. got to get rid of. It's expensive. It is expensive. Yeah, the so rubbish component is the most expensive part. Imagine I've got a two or three bedroom house full of clutter and you talk about sort of, you know, a metre high that people are walking on. How much does it cost to clean a house like well,
4: that? Well, it can be anything from five to ten to $15,000, wow. depending. But depending on how fly-blown the property is, depending on how much faecal matter there is, depending on how much hoarding there is as to whether it's squalor or it's hoarding, Mm -hmm. and like... We've got to go through things because we we might throw out a newspaper article but that's got a death a death notice in it and they really want to keep that. Yeah. But to us it looks like rubbish. So we get them to sign a form to say that, you know, all best care will be taken but you need to be on the ball a little bit too and help us guide through it because this is not our home, it's not our life, it's not our decision. It's their home, their life, their decision. We're there to help them through the process. But, you know, if, they, if they're not on the ball... And we've happened to throw something out. Unfortunately, that's the way it goes. You know, we can't be responsible for everything.
0: And who pays for a clean-up after a homicide?
4: VSA, Department of Justice. Okay, great.
0: And what about after a suicide?
4: Department of Justice, depending on circumstances. Okay.
0: I mean, do you get many of those?
4: Look, I would say with the teams that are doing this, about five companies that do it for right. the Victorian group. You wouldn't put bank your dollar on it. It's feast or famine. You know, like we might have, at one stage, we might have like about 18 in two weeks or something like that, and then we might not even have anything for another six weeks or seven weeks. Full moon is a big is pr- predictor. Real? a Very much a full predictor. And the hot weather is a much a predictor. Winter, they stay home because they're too cold to go out.
0: Wow. Oh, my goodness. After the break, more of the life and work of the one and only Sandra Pankhurst.
2: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door.
3: And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
0: I don't, you know, I would never ask a beautiful lady her age.
4: I just always tell, I never tell anyone my age, but I do say that I'm in my mid to late 60s. Okay. Yeah. And the only reason I do that is because I have have a real thing of identity theft. Oh. I'm very paranoid of identity theft. Why is that? And and if I have a Telstra, I have a code name, I will not give them my data. But I am entitled to my freedom of information. Like, I don't know who the jack shits on the end of the phone. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I scream uphill and down Dale for my rights. Yeah. And I say, no, I'm not giving it to you. You've got a code name there. You've got every other detail.
0: Why do I have to give you my date of birth? And your identity, and I I feel like you've learned not to take it for granted like we do. Yes. I mean, your birth certificate said male at a time when you were able to get a passport that said female, Female. which is incredible. You're also able to get married. So you had a marriage certificate that said female. Yes. But then they gerried later. Well, so it was canceled. more that the
4: family, after the death of my husband, mm-hmm. the family annulled the wedding, and that's how it all sort of came out.
0: Right. Okay. But that's that's all, all incredible, isn't it, that in yeah. this day I was... T- but <laughs> it's a bit different now because yeah. now I have a birth certificate
4: in female name. I have everything done differently. But it's taken all this time for it to be able to come to fruition. Yeah.
0: So can we do that in Victoria now? Yes, can we, we can. We? Great. Yes. Yeah. We can be transgender and get our birth certificate and everything changed. Correct. What made you choose the name Sandra? I'm always fascinated. Um, Well,
4: I've had several names over the years. Okay. I was Celestial Star, the girl with the big personality because I used to once have a 40-inch bust Uh when I was doing shows and stripping and drag shows and the likes. Yeah. And then I was Stacey. Stacy's a
0: great name, it's very sexy, yeah. and you were and are a very sexy lady. Oh, thank you <laughs>
4: I'll get you seen our dog for Christmas. Um,
0: <laughs> so I've had several
4: names over the years, but I didn't particularly change my name permanently to Sandra till after the rape and everything had all settled down and I felt safer with a new identity.
0: Mm. And the so man- it's also
4: this protectionism that I put on all the time, like protecting myself, protect, putting my armour
0: up. Mm-hmm. Um, the other attack that happened in your life, and I know you probably, I'm assuming you won't want to talk a lot about it, is you had a partner murdered. Yes. Yes, who was pregnant with your child at the time. So, yes, crime crime has touched your life in so many ways. I was just reading this morning a report, it was a, it came out of America and it was talking about the number of transgender women who are serving time in male prisons in America. And it also talked though about the lifestyles that transgender women tend to be sort of forced into that are oftentimes surrounded by crime. Yes. It's very hard
4: to make a living. Mm-hmm. And I also look at... Some of the peers that I had in being transgender, Mm. and I used to think they were like goddesses. They were beautiful, far more beautiful than I would ever have been. And yet they're older now, like myself. They're not happy with their life. Mm -hmm. They're depressed. They're not coping. All they've ever known is showgirls or parlours and things like that. And I think by the grace of God, I'm so bloody lucky yeah. that I have this gumption to get out and try new things. And But it's my desire to want better all the time. Like I have a beautiful car, I want a better car. I have a beautiful house, I want a better house. It's my desire to keep having goals all the time that pushes me further, mm-hmm. to want more and want more. I want the best that life can give me. Yeah, And that's what my modus operandi is.
0: Well, also, it was explained to me once uh, that, you know, as a, a young child, you're bullied very, very young. It's very difficult to complete your education because of yeah. that bullying. It's very difficult to just get up and go to school every day. So you leave school early. And then from that point on, it's hard to get employment anywhere but the sex industry. But when I first left work, I was
4: actually quite blessed
0: because as I got
4: kicked out of home at 17 and I'm actually catching up with this girl who was like my best friend at school, Mary McMahon, Wow! and we're catching up next Saturday after all these years Mm. of of everything. Her parents actually took me in when I got kicked out of home. And he was one of the big wigs at ACI Spotswood. Mm -hmm. And of course, currently I I got a job there straight away, but as a fitter and turner. Well, I am no fitter and turner (laughs) quality stuff, I can tell you. I can't stand getting my hands dirty, Mm -hmm. you know. So, anyhow, that sort of didn't really work out. So then I got moved on to the laboratory. That was more my cup of tea, so I could handle that okay. But then that also brings me to another thing is that when we worked at ACI was when the Westgate Bridge fell down. Yes. And that was a spooky experience as well. Yes. Because like as it was like an earthquake went off, all the sirens went off, the gym machines jammed, people's arms got caught in machines in the factory. And then we sort of went to the far perimeter of the property and climbed up on the fence to have a look because it was like an earthquake. Yeah. And you could see that they were putting all these cars into a square where they could put body parts into it and hide it from the general public. But we were up higher because we were up high on these fences that were quite high. And we were looking down on it and it was quite... A surreal experience, yeah, quite surreal.
0: And it was during that time that you started wearing a little bit of makeup and stuff like that. Was that right? When,
4: well, when that was not at ACI, that was at um, John Darling's Flour Mills. Yeah, and I used to run the laboratory there for John Darling's Flour Mills. Yeah, and we used to have clients like McDonald's and Mm. that come in because we used to test their bread and their Mm. wheat so to make their bread with. And so we had a, a test kitchen where we'd make banana bread and all sorts of different types of bread, and we'd check them for moisture, how much they'd rise and everything like that, and the quality of the, the grain and everything. And I sort of felt that I couldn't be respected. In the beginning, the silo workers were a little bit, you know, ah, 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 ah. but in the end, they were very protective of me. Yeah. And they just wanted me to stay. I don't know what it is, but I was, I was quite accepted and loved by the people there. I was loved by the people in the laboratory. And But I didn't feel that I fit in. I didn't feel that the position commanded the respect that it was due. And that hence, that was the reason why I left. And I was responsible to Bowden, who was in Sydney at the time. And he said to me, we don't want you to go, Sandra. We don't want you to go. And I said, no, look, I have to go. I have to go because, you know, this is a dignified position and we need someone with a bit of dignity in it. But then was a lot of self doubt in myself yeah. at the time, too. And I didn't know where I was going to go, what I was going to do, how I was going to survive. So, were you
0: living as a man? Part,
4: really as a man, but I was starting, you could see the transition. The hormones were taking over. Wow. I was starting to wear a little bit of makeup. Wow. My blouses got thinner, so you could sort of see the breasts. But you coming weren't through. calling yourself
0: Sandra or anything. No, you are still no, calling yourself no. your man name.
4: No. Yeah.
0: Gosh, the bravery. I just can't get over it. You were really. Uh, see, I don't
4: see it brave. I just see it as. The journey, the survival. What we're talking about, you, you about the seventies, right? It? Yeah,
0: the seventies in a in industrial yeah. Western suburbs, suburbs. Melbourne. <laughs> <It's> life. <laughs> I know it is life, but I mean, it feels like you're just like, yeah, take it or leave it. This is it. Yeah. And it's everything. like coming
4: here today. Yeah. And realizing we came into Spotswood, yeah. it brought back all those memories of all those years ago yeah. in Spotswood. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was sort of like a bit of a. Oh, wow. This is bringing back memories.
0: And when in the book when you talked about going to uh, Kalgoorlie to work the sheds, oh, I thought, funny. oh, my God, I heard about that. And so I loved your story about that. So was prostitution legal?
4: Over there it's legal. Right. But it's very highly regulated. Oh, regulated. Yeah. That's the word I was to And you're before, literally sorry.
0: living in these tin sheds. What, what it is is actually it's
4: a house. Right. But it's they're... Purpose-made houses mm. and they're all got rooms that your doors lead off onto the street. And then you go out the back out of your room and it leads to a hallway. Oh, then you've got your kitchen, your family right. room, and all this sort of stuff. But you've got an area where all those little 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 letter boxes are. And as you do a client, you've got to write down your name, put it in your number letterbox, yep. which is coates to your room. Yeah. And then you'd put down how much money it was and all this. Well, I was so out of it at the time because I used to fly back to Melbourne and get Mandy's, mandy 's Majorndi and all this sort of stuff, yeah. so I was peeled out all the time sure so anyhow i 'd wake up in the morning and i 'd be one of the top earners down there. <laughs> And because they say that a man knows how to please a man and a woman knows how to please a woman. <laughs> so anyhow, I was a very good earner. But then I created this persona in the room too because I had it all decked out like I was the rich bitch on the street. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I'd been down the street and I bought wall units and there's wine and stuff like that and alcoholic stuff and little tidbits and everything. But it looked classy.
0: Yeah. If you don't so, mind my saying yeah. so, it sounded camp.
4: It probably was. You know what I mean? Yeah, like beautifully it probably was. Camped. But it was tasteful. Yeah. It was very, very tasteful. Yeah, definitely, yeah. So um so anyhow there was talk around the town that there's this sex change in the in the affair. How village. do you think
0: they found that out?
4: Don't know. I really don't know. But there was this Swedish girl that was there. Yeah. And she and she was a bit taller than I am and a, a lot heavier set than I am. Mm. And even though I had a bit more weight on me in those days, and I was a bit more curvaceous than what I am now. I look, I'm a bit on the scary side, thinking a dog might run and attack this Meals on wheels. <laughs> <laughs> she said to me, "Look, what we'll do is we'll swap rooms, and then we'll do that for a, a couple of weeks or so, and then the people go and they go. I heard number room one, house number one. There's a sex change there, yeah. and she go." have a look. And um, <laughs> anyhow, they'd, they'd go, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, I must be wrong then. It must be wrong then. Be and so when the dust settled down, we moved back into our perspective rooms. That was very brave of her, wasn't yeah, it? it
0: was. She was fantastic. Because they could have bashed her just yeah. out of the ridiculous homophobia of it all. And yeah. Gosh.
4: It was a funny time, I can tell you. Yeah. But like, you know, the next day I'd be cleaning up my room because I was so and so many drugs, that I'd be going, oh, What's this sneaky fifty dollars doing here? What's this <laughs> sneaky hundred and fifty over here? What's this? And I think, what the fuck did I do for that money last night? <laughs> but did you?
0: Did you? It sounds like you enjoyed sex work for a period of time.
4: Look, it was. You can't really say you enjoy it. Okay. It's a means to the end. Okay. And I do love money. Is my I love money. Okay. I love to have money. I love to have enough to cope with. Yeah. Enough to have enough that I can go out and have a nice meal or do of the things that I like doing. Yeah. Because Going out for a meal is something that I really look forward to. But it's gotta be quality.
0: Is that because do you think you were starved as a child, literally? Like very much. I'd, I'd think so.
4: Because yeah. like I was seventeen I had malnutrition and yeah. I'd lost all my teeth. For those so I've never listeners, had teeth since I was seventeen. For
0: listeners who haven't read the book, this won't be you sh- should still get it. But part of the trauma and the torture was that at four thirty every day your parents kicked you out of the house and you had to go and weren't allowed to
4: be in the house. Yeah.
0: You had to go out and be in the bungalow. So no dinner for you. And you used to steal food from the house when you could. But yeah, you were very much starved. So I guess, yeah, that never leaves you, does it? It doesn't. Mm. No.
4: So this is why my need to have mm. is very important to me.
0: Gosh, what a life, huh? Been interesting. You
4: don't need and to cont- be of in my life. I can tell Continues
0: to be interesting. And the yeah. way you deal with these people is is so beautiful. And the way Sarah observes and then, and then talks about the kindness that you show these poor people who are clearly so ashamed. They're so ashamed, these people, that they won't let their families in and this is how it perpetuates. Yes. You know, they say to their own children or their own friends, no, don't come over because they're ashamed and this is how it gets to be where their families have no idea that they're living in this squalor. Well, they become very conniving
4: too. Yes. Like they might say, "Come on mum, we'll come over and pick you up and we'll take you out for lunch." Mm. Oh, no, no, it's all right. I've got a little message I must do. So I'll I'll meet you down at the post office. Mm. And then they'd go and have lunch or whatever. And then, come on, mum, we'll take you back. No, I think it'll do me more good than harm to have a bit of a walk. And I want to catch up with Mrs. So-and-so on the way back. So they become very protective of their area. And it's only because there's a lot of shame for them Uh and they can't quite deal with the shame. Yes. But it's their security blanket as well. And so letting go of that security blanket of all this stuff around them is you can breathe after once they've been through the process. Yeah. You know what I mean? But not everyone feels like that. Some people feel like their lives have been stolen from them. And this is why now that we don't do forced cleanups, unless it's the environmental health or someone like that or the council have got onto it and they said, no, this has to happen because we'll find that they'll only re-offend immediately after and they'll yeah. restock the house up that, like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. And we've done properties where it's not only stored in the house, it's in the roof cavity, it's on the roof, it's in the grounds, it's everywhere. Like we just had a job not all that long ago down at Geelong that we had about 10, 35 cubic metres of rubbish.
0: Wow. I can understand that for some people that might be the, the shield, Yes. Like, you know, they talk about some people being overweight because that weight feels like a safety shield. So if, if that's the house feels like that, then the you would be panicked and the first thing you want to do is refill that.
4: Yeah, and everything is important to them. Yeah. Everything is important. But when you boil it all down, it's not that important to them either, you
3: yeah. know, and it's just getting
4: through to them and talking to them and going, now what is the reason? Like sometimes we'll a compromise situation and we'll say, okay, let's we'll keep the, all these jeans that you want, there might be two hundred pairs of jeans, say, for example, and then we'll go now, really, we've only got seven days in a week, mm. and there's thirty days run the average a month. So how often are you going to get to wear these jeans? Let's break it down because we don't have room to put them, and if we have this out on display when it's not in a wardrobe or not in a cupboard, we're going to get our asses kicked by whoever's paying for this clean, yeah, you know, so let's break it down. so we might do one cull first and then we'll revisit and go down again till they get comfortable with it and then we've got a good compromise for happening. But we've always got to make it that it's their idea first. We can plant the seed, Mm. but they have to feel like they're the captain of the ship and they're driving.
0: Yeah. And And by
4: doing that, we get a better result.
0: Yeah. And you talked in the book about how that's so much more exhausting than a a, a murder scene. Oh,
4: God, yeah. (laughs) i Doing a hoarder is mind-blowing. I come home physically and mentally spent at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. There's an incredible scene where one of your staff members is standing in the hallway talking to a lady about just something. And, and your staff member is holding a plastic bag full of that lady's faeces yep. that she's picked up from the hallway. It's just like alternative universe. And this great kind of idea that the lady thinks the problem is there's not enough storage in the house.
4: Yeah. It's not the storage, honey. Yeah. <laughs> what you're storing. And- yeah. yeah.
0: Sandra, what is it that you want to do with your life? I know that you have, because you don't like to stand still and you're a busy person. and you. For a
4: new challenge. Yes,
0: and you, you're a giver. You're one of life's great givers. What, do you, what is it that you want to do? I want our listeners to know what it is that you well, want to do. I'd like to be an educator. Yep. I'd
4: like to be able to help people rise above adversity.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: I would like to get involved in some sort of gender committee and there's possibility that I might be involved in the Pride Centre in Port Melbourne. Great. There's an opportunity possibly coming my way where I'll be on an anti-bullying committee, which is a high-profile committee in the City of Melbourne. But there are a lot of things that I want to get. I want to get out and public speak. The figures state the very fact, is that 20% of the younger generation that transition have a 20% higher suicide rate than the normal transgender. A normal transgender have a very high suicide rate anyhow. Yes. So I think we need to get the message out that it's a very big thing to transition. And even for me, like, I didn't know such a life existed till yeah. I was later in my years, in my teens, late teens, nearly 20s. Actually, it would have been in my 20s that I first realised. And... I had no idea, and I'd seen drag show, but I thought they all had chokers on, but I thought all this was plastic. All the boobs, So I had no idea that you could actually live like this. I was only hearing a conversation, and that turned the the light bulb on. You have to be very confident in yourself and very much believing in yourself, and I remember that I had the money to go overseas to Cairo and get the sex change done.
0: Well, that was all the go back in the day, wasn't it? It was very much the go, but
4: 90% of them come back totally drug fucked, yeah. totally maimed. Like, they'd like, have their lights up in the stirrups and the, the light heater light would burn their foot off or something. And they'd go, oh, no, you only paid for a sex change. They'll send you back home. Mm. Like the how they come back was just mind-blowing. So I decided I'd go through the Queen Vic Hospital. So I went through that process and I had the first stage operation and then I said to them, and I was feeling really chipper, I want to go for a walk. Is that okay if I go for a walk? And they'd assumed just around the hospital. So I got dressed and put the catheter up under my clothes and everything like that, went down the streets and bought chocolates for the nurses and derrily and all this sort of stuff, new outfits to go home with and stuff. And anyhow, I remember walking out of the Queen Vic Hospital, and in those days there were all the Catholic, church, Catholic shops all in a row, the Greek shops, yeah. and in between each one of them there was this mirror like a two foot of mirror, and then walking across, I saw caught this vision of what was myself, and I thought, "Oh, she looks lovely." And then I realised, "Fuck, it's me! Yeah. It's me!" And I knew I'd made the right decision. But when I went back into the hospital, they went absolutely barnacle at me because, like, "Where the hell have you been?" Ruh, ruh, ruh,
0: ruh, ruh, ruh.
4: But anyhow, that's the way it goes. I know. know, but you did get infection, right? You did get sick. I, I did get very sick after that. <laughs> But all I needed was a bloody good enema. I'd let the pain go for so bloody long that I couldn't express my words.
0: Incredible surgery. What is the best way to get in touch with you? Is it sandrapankhurst.com.au?
4: Sandra Pankhurst, the trauma cleaner. We have a page. Okay,
0: a Facebook page. So we'll put yep. that link on our Facebook page. Thank you. To make sure that people who want you to come and speak for them and speak to them and get involved in their events can get in touch with you. And you can email me on Sandra.p
4: at stcservices.com.au. Okay,
0: thank you so much, Sandra. You're more
4: than welcome, and thank you, Michelle. This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the ACAST Creator Network.